Our thoughts tonight will come from Numbers, the 13th and 14th chapter, the book of Numbers. You know, now and then, these days, our phones will beep, or maybe the TV, if you have it on, and they'll come across uh, an alert that's called an uh, Amber Alert, and uh, the message scrolls across that they're looking for a lost child. And, of course, uh, that always brings a stir of emotions to all of us to think about a child that's, that's lost. Luckily, many of those turns out to be uh, good, uh, a good find in the end, but sometimes not so good. I don't guess there's a word in the English language that gets our attention or quickens our interest more than the word lost. Uh, our Lord knew that, and that's why I guess he used Luke 15 to tell us about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost boy. And the Bible in Luke 19 and 10 says that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. But you know, one of the most tragic stories in all the Bible you'll find in the text of Numbers 13 and 14 where there was a lost generation. You'll find in these two chapters a tragedy that's really greater than the tragedy of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know how tragic that was. This, this story involves the, the loss of an entire generation that failed to enter into the land that God promised his people for centuries. Now, as we think about the background of this, after several centuries of bondage in Egypt, if you go back in Exodus and you can read all about this, the Lord brought Israel out by way of the Red Sea, led them on to Mount Sinai, and there he delivered to them the law that they were to live by. The tabernacle was erected, and of course the tabernacle was a moving, if you will, temple. Moved from place to place with the people so they could offer their sacrifice and worship God as he commanded of them. And the Old Testament says that they were to build that tabernacle according to the pattern that God gave. And when that tabernacle and its worship was instituted, the divine presence of God was manifest before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And all the while, the Lord led them and he fed them. He fed them with manna, which the psalmist refers to in his writings as angel's food, 
So the Lord attended to them and led them and gave them assurance and promises all the way to the promised land. And then he said, Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto them and to their seed after them. Deuteronomy 1 verse 8. So God says, I'm going to give you this land. Promised it to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to their seed after them, which is the people he's talking to here. And to reassure them of this homeland that he's going to give them, the Lord told Moses to send forth 12 spies to inspect the land we know it as the land of Canaan, and to bring back from their efforts a, a report. And if you read all of Numbers 13 and 14, and we're not going to take time to do that tonight, but if you'll read all of that, you'll see that they were to see the inhabitants of the land, whether they were strong or weak, they were to check the cities to see whether or not they were walled or if they were just tent cities. They were to examine the soil to see how fertile it was and if it would produce sufficient to supply the people with their needs. Now, if you carefully read the charge that was given to these spies by Moses, you'll see that that was all they were charged to do. And this would complete the assignment that God through Moses gave them. So we have a committee of spies that, that were to do something in reporting about the land that God said, I'll give to you. It's important in committees, and I'm not opposed to committees because there's sometimes good that comes out of the work committees do, most of the time good. God ordained this one in the Old Testament. There are other episodes of such in the Old Testament and also in the, in the New. In fact, Jesus used some personal committees during his ministry. But there is the imperative that a committee needs to fully understand the scope of what is committed unto them. Now, the committee of 12 that we're studying about here in Numbers 13 and 14, they didn't show any great amount of discernment in this this field. The Bible says that they accomplished the work committed to them of spying out the land, the peoples, and the cities. But they did too much in recommending 
what needed to be done after the land was spied out. Because that was not in their jurisdiction. God had already settled that matter. You go in and you possess the land. So we come back from spying out the land and we have ten members of that committee giving their report. We call it the majority report. And we can sum their report up in this way when they got back. You sent us out, we did spy out the land that God promised to our fathers and now we want to tell you what we found out. The land is indeed a land that flows with milk and honey. You can read that in the text of 13 and 14. It's a very abundant land. Crops are great. And you can see how great they are by this cluster of grapes we're bringing back and the pomegranates and the figs. The grape cluster was so large that they had to bury it in poles between two men. Can you imagine a cluster of grapes that large? Shows you that the land was exactly what God promised them. That's what they actually said. But they also said, we've got some bad news along with that. The people are mighty. They're mighty men that made us look like grasshoppers. Verse 33 of chapter 13. They've got walled cities, and those walled cities are well fortified. And of course, the kids have been studying Joshua for Bible Bowl, and you know all about later on Jericho and the walls of Jericho and how uh, tight that city was within those walls. So they're well fortified. We are not able to possess the land. Therefore, we make it our recommendation that no action toward conquest of Canaan be taken. Now that's what the ten spies basically said, the majority. But you know, we need to keep in mind what God had promised. And, and God had already warned them about, uh, you know, the affluent life that they're going to have in that land and warned them against the dangers of that. In Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, beginning in verse 10, the Bible says, It shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged, which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. In other words, they were going to have to be careful once they got into the land, 
that they didn't become so self-satisfied and think they had everything they needed that they didn't need God anymore. But here, these ten say, they're too mighty, we can't take this land. But there wasn't complete unity between the committee. There was a minority report by two of the spies, and of course we remember them, Joshua and Caleb, who made that report. And they said everything that the ten has said concerning the land is right on the money. It's productive. It's good land. It's just exactly what God said he was going to give us. So, let's go take it. These two realized that no matter how fortified their cities were and how well their armies may have been armed, they could take the land because God promised it. Here's what they said. Verse 9 of chapter 14. Only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are as bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. These two men stood alone in signing that, that report. They were good men. They trusted in God to give the victory. Therefore, they exhorted their brethren in verse 30 of Numbers 13, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Wasn't any doubt in their mind. Just the call to action. Let's do what God said, and the land can be ours. Why was there two different reports? All of these 12 men had seen the same land. They'd seen the same cities in that land. They'd viewed the same great obstacles that lay before them. Why then did they give different reports? Simply... This, I believe, both saw the same picture, but the majority failed to see the most important element. Now, we might illustrate that point with this little story. The teacher in an art class drew a picture before the class. It uh, portrayed a group of children around a little blonde, blue-eyed girl with a big smile on her face. But the children were running and they were screaming in, in just hysteria and frantically trying to get away from her as she held out her arms. So the teacher said today, 
we will have a lesson on observation. One part of this picture is missing. Will a student come forward and put in that missing piece? Well, the kids sat there a while, and finally, one got up, came up, and drew on the little blonde girl with blue eyes a blindfold. And in doing so, it turned a scene that was scary into a, into a scene of blind man's bluff, just a game children love to play. There was only one element missing. That was the blindfold. Both groups of spies had seen the difficulty, but the majority of the spies had not seen God. The picture always has a brighter hue if we only recognize what God can and what God will do. Paul could say, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me in Philippians 4 and 13. And when you bring the Lord into the occasion, all things become possible. Hebrews 13 and verse 6, the Bible says, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Why was this generation lost? When the people drew, drew back and they refused to possess the land, God withdrew his promises from them. And as uh, Jaron read earlier, he said there's a generation that's not going to enter that promised land. A lost generation. And you know, there's going to be, there's going to be some or many, the Bible says, that will not enter the promised land our land of Canaan. And God says here in this passage in our text of the two chapters, you're going to wander in the wilderness a year for each day they spied out the land. They were gone for 40 days and the punishment was you'll wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And the carcasses of that generation would fall in the wilderness. And as you know, as a student of the Bible, all of that came to be. But let's investigate for the rest of our time tonight why this generation was lost. Number one, because they were satisfied with the majority report. They didn't even consider what Joshua and Caleb brought back in their investigation. 
In Exodus 23 and 2, this same people had been warned, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. But they'd already forgotten that exhortation that was given in Exodus 23. It's a dangerous thing to blindly follow the crowd because oftentimes the minority is right. As Noah, a minority of eight, seven plus himself, and how many thousands were destroyed by the waters of the flood. But yet Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, the Bible says. He built that ark. That ark floated because he built it according to the way God said build it. He and his household were saved. And we know all about that from previous studies of the Bible. Elijah stood against 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18. Those 450 prophets were slain. But Elijah was victorious because he did at that altar exactly what God asked him to do. He was in the minority, but the minority was right. If you turn to Matthew chapter 27, you'll find that Barabbas got more votes than Jesus Christ did. And we know what the minority meant there, don't we? We need to be careful in this generation that we live in that we're not misled by the majority. Christians are in the minority today. I'm talking about New Testament Christians. There are many who use that word very loosely and many who have not been redeemed by the blood of Jesus are referred to as such. But one cannot be a New Testament Christian unless he or she has submitted in obedience to what the Lord requires in his word. And the only way by which we can be cleansed of our sin is by our immersion into him. The majority would not tell you that today. This generation also was lost, number two, because they magnified their difficulties. They looked at only the hardships and the trials that they were going to face and the troubles that they were going to experience in trying to drive a people out of these fortified cities and all of that. They never once saw the blessings or the opportunities that were before them. They readily saw those giants. They saw those walled cities, but they did not see God, nor remember the providence of God. Paul, in the New Testament, forgot his thorn in the flesh when he had assurance from God saying, My grace is sufficient for thee, 
For my strength is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9. With every difficulty, with every difficulty, God makes provisions for his own. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 says that in temptations, God will never allow more to be placed upon us than we're able to bear with his help. And he'll make us a way of escape. They magnified their difficulties. We don't need to be dismayed because of the opposition from men that we face in this life because Romans 9.31 says, if God be for us, who can be against us? This generation was lost, number three, because they did not respect themselves. Poor Pitiful me. I'm just a grasshopper compared to the giants of the Amalekites. Just a grasshopper. But you know what they should have remembered? They should have remembered that they numbered 603,500 warriors who had never suffered defeat in battle against any of their enemies. And the same God that led them through all of that, those victories was the same God who was telling them, go possess the land. They didn't respect themselves. God had guaranteed his promise. I'll give it to you if you'll go take it. Self-renunciation and humility doesn't mean we're selling God short. We don't ever need to cast any doubt upon what God has promised us and give us assurances of. We need never belittle ourselves after all, whose image are we made in? We're made in the image of God. It's just like the little saying that came out several years ago that I saw a little boy saying, I'm something because God made me. This generation was lost, number four, because they murmured and they turned away from authority. In fact, if you go back here and, and read in this uh, book of Numbers, you'll see that they planned an insurrection against Moses and Aaron, and in doing that, they were planning an insurrection against God. Read the first four verses, chapter 14. They offered nothing constructive, but they criticized anything offered to better their lot. And you know, there's a whole lot of people like that today. They murmured and they turned from the authority of God. God was the one who was saying, do this. 
Jesus said, all authority is given unto me. And then he gave the great commission in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. We have the authority of Jesus on how we may take the promised land. We've got to walk under the authority of our Lord if we ever hope to see the portals of heaven. Number five, this generation was lost because they were looking back, not ahead. Chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, the flesh pots of Egypt looked awfully good to them. Let's go back. They remembered the experiences of yesterday, but they did not look ahead with anticipation of what was to come. You know what Jesus said about that? Luke 9, verse 62, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul said, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Jesus gave a warning in Luke 17 and 32, remember Lot's wife. And we know what happened when she looked back. We must look for our promised land. And we, looking ahead, must do everything within our power to secure entrance into that land. And that means our strict obedience to the authority of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Sixth and finally, this generation was lost because they were unwilling to pay the price. Unwilling to pay the price. The cost was re reckoned for them, and they considered it too much. Possible maybe that they had become too soft from all the free manna that was given to them and the many providences that God had showed to them. I fear today that in this United States of America we're becoming a soft people from all the handouts we get from our government. Actually discourages work, doesn't it? And some people are looking to the mailbox over doing an honest day's work. If help is needed, I'm all for it. But we need to be looking ahead. We need to be looking ahead and meeting the demands that we encounter. And there are many even today who are unwilling to meet the demands of God. Jesus still says in Luke 9, 23, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That denying himself 
is very important. We must submit our will to the will of the Father. Jesus taught the parable of a man sitting down to build a tower. The first thing he does is to sit down to see what the cost is going to be and whether or not he has the funds necessary to complete the project. Many of you do the same thing in your building too. There is a cost to discipleship. It's, it's denying ourselves and giving ourselves holy to the Lord so that we can too conquer the land. Some people say, well, it's useless to study the Old Testament. But tonight I hope our time has been well spent in this because it's something we need to make applications of in our life. Paul said, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Romans 15 verse 4. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 1, he wrote this, Now all these things, talking about things that happened in the Old Testament, all these things happened unto them for an example. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. It's sad to think about a generation of people lost. But that's a good warning for us. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, Hebrews 3 verse 12. Let us therefore fear lest a promise left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard. Hebrews 3 and verse 12. The word mixed with faith. Hebrews 2.1 says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we let them slip. So as we think about this lost generation and the things that cause them to be lost, Let's learn and not let those same things cause us to be lost. But let's do what Caleb and what Joshua suggested. Let's put our faith and our confidence in God and then we can take the land. And we can be found faithful and have the expectation of the joys of heaven. Tonight, if you need to respond to the gospel in any way, we encourage you to do that as we stand together and as we sing.